0: All right, turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 24. We're going to read the first half of verse 6. Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read the first half of verse 6, and it says, He is not here, but is risen. He is not here, but is risen. Risen. That was a great chance to say amen. amen. He is not here but is risen. Amen. So, about five weeks ago or so, um, I stood up here and I shared a message on spiritual apathy. The week after, I shared a message on managing uncertainty. And then we began a series called The Truth. The Truth. The Truth. And I began that series by sharing a message I entitled The Truth About Hell. And we looked at what the Bible has to say about hell, what hell will look like, where we go when we die. And we kind of addressed some of the myths and misconceptions around the afterlife pertaining to death and hell. Following that, last week, Sunday, I spoke about the truth about heaven. And of course, I spoke about what heaven's going to look like, what we're going to be doing in heaven, the type of heavens that the Bible makes reference to. And, of course, we took time to focus on God's dwelling place. And if you were here, or perhaps you weren't even here, but you would like to hear some of those messages, then, you, of course, you can go onto the church website and listen to those. Today, we are concluding the series, The Truth, with a message I have titled, anyone want to guess, The Truth About Easter. The Truth About Easter. The Truth About Easter. Now, I'll be honest with you. Though Easter is the most important celebration in the Christian calendar, amongst pastor, pastor friends, we have this joke. And this joke is that though Easter is the most important day in the Christian calendar, when it comes to Easter and Christmas, those sometimes can be the hardest messages to preach. Because everybody knows how the story ends. There's nothing I'm going to tell you that's new. He died he was buried, he rose again on the third day. Surprise, it's not going to be a surprise. There's nothing new. It's a bit like going to the cinema and watching the same film. After a while, you know how the story goes. And that doesn't take away from the power of the message or the meaning of the message. But sometimes, it can be a little bit tricky in that regard when people are already sitting with the expectation of, oh, I know how the narrative goes. And so with that said, I wanted to cover Easter from a different angle today as part of our series. And what I wanted to do is refocus on the truth about Easter in a day and age where its meaning may have actually been misconstrued. And often I find that one of the best ways to address a truth or to find the truth about a thing is to first uncover the myths pertaining to to a thing. So what I want to do is address some myths pertaining to Easter and then conclude with the truth about Easter. Someone say the truth about Easter. (laughs) All right, so here are some myths pertaining to Easter to note in order for us to understand the truth about Easter. And here's the first point that I want to give to you. Easter is not about Lent. Easter is not about Lent. Now, how many of us are familiar with Lent? How many of us have partaken in Lent before? How many of us partook in Lent this year? Okay, one or two of us. Well, Lent is a period of fasting also known as the Lenten fast. Most people believe it's 40 days. It's not actually 40 days, it's 46 days because it's 40 days, not including Sunday. And it's always been that way since it was established in the fourth century. It is a period of self denial. It is a period of moderation and something that is traditionally observed by Catholics and some Protestant denominations and some believers today. The first day of Lent is always Ash Wednesday. It's never a Tuesday. It's never a Thursday. It's always Ash Wednesday. And its official name is actually Day of Ashes. And this is because of the practice of rubbing ashes on one's forehead in the sign of a cross. Now, Lent initially began as a way for Catholics to remind themselves of the value of repentance. That's how it began. In a similar way to how people in the Old Testament fasted and repented in sackcloth and ashes. An example of this is in Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. It says, then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And though Lent concludes on Easter Sunday, which is today, there's a couple of things you need to be mindful of when it comes to Lent. Over time, Lent has developed more or has developed a much more sacramental value in that many people believe that giving up something for Lent is a way to attain God's blessing. However, Romans chapter 5, verse 17 teaches us that grace cannot be earned and that grace is a gift from Christ to us. So we must be very careful not to approach it with that mindset. I will also go on to say that Lent and Ash Wednesday, of course, are not mentioned in the Bible and hence isn't the focus of Easter. That said, there is absolutely nothing wrong with setting time aside to pray, to fast, and focus on Jesus's death and resurrection if the period of time is used in that way. But secondly, please be reminded that repenting of our sins is something that we should be doing every day, not just leading up to Christmas, sorry, to Easter. We, don't, we do not need to wait for Lent or the period of Easter to come before we take time to pray, to fast, and to repent. So please be reminded that Easter is not about Lent. Tell the person next to you, Easter is not about Lent. Not about Lent. Here's the second myth for you today. Easter is not about Good Friday. But Jesus died on what we celebrate. That's correct. Easter is not about Good Friday. The Bible makes no mention of Good Friday, or a need to commemorate it or does it mention any of the traditions that we associate with Good Friday such as the eating of fish and not eating any meat, for example? Which then leads us to ask three common questions pertaining to Good Friday. One, why do some people only eat fish and not meat on Good Friday? Two, if Good Friday is not mentioned in the Bible, why do we celebrate Good Friday in the first instance? And thirdly, why do we call it Good Friday? Because there was nothing good about that Friday, okay? So firstly, when it comes to why some people only eat fish and not meat, when it comes to traditions around food, the reason why some people may only eat fish and not meat on Good Friday, again, stems from a Catholic tradition which has root in the understanding that Jesus gave up his flesh on that day, and therefore we should follow suit in that we should give up flesh on Good Friday. However, please note, again, this isn't mentioned or commanded in the Bible. In fact, it was the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops that stated that fish is a different type of meat in that it is cold-blooded, and therefore that's why they eat fish but not any meat of warm-blooded animals, and that's where this tradition stems from, okay? Secondly, why do we celebrate or commemorate Good Friday in the first place like we did here on Friday, unlike millions of believers would have done across the globe? Well, we of course celebrate Good Friday because of the significance of the day. Now, though it's not commanded of us, there is nothing wrong with celebrating it. In fact, Romans chapter 14, verse 5, tells us one person esteems one day above another, Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, whatever you're going to do around this period, just know the real motive and reason behind why you are celebrating it. Please know the reason behind why you are deciding not to eat meat. Please know the reason behind why you are deciding to partake in Lent. Please know the reason behind why you are celebrating Good Friday, as that's the most important thing. This then leads us to ask the third question, why is it called good, considering there was nothing good about what the Romans and Jewish authorities were doing to Jesus? Well, the answer is very simple. We call it Good Friday because of the good that would come from it. The good in that our sins would be forgiven because of his death on the cross, so that we could have life in him. Easter is not about Lent. It is not about Good Friday. And number three, Easter isn't about Easter. Did you hear what I said? Easter isn't about Easter. And neither is Easter about paganism which is another rumor that's going around. And let me give you some history and background as to where Easter comes from, hence why you will know why I'm saying Easter is not about Easter. Now, it's assumed that the name Easter comes from a pagan figure called Istra, Istra, who was celebrated as the goddess of spring by the Saxons of Northern Europe. According to this theory, Istra was the goddess of the east from where the sun rises does anyone want to take a guess what symbol she had that represented her a bunny bunny. this is where we get our bunnies from this was the symbol the bunny the hair that represented the goddess of Easter how many of you now knowing that would like to eat this chocolate bunny some of you like I still eat it it's all good okay It is believed this is where we also get the symbol of Easter eggs from. However, there are some theologians that argue differently in that the egg represents uh, fertility and it also represents new birth, which is given to us when Christ died on the cross for us. And so her symbol was a hare and she apparently had a festival called Easter, which was held in the spring equinox by the Saxons to honor her. However, someone say however. This theory on the origin of Easter is highly unlikely to be true. The major problem with associating the origin of Easter with this pagan goddess is that we actually have no hard evidence whatsoever that this goddess was ever worshipped or actually ever existed anywhere at any time or was seen by anyone. The only mention of this goddess comes in just a passing reference by an 8th century monk and historian. So be confident in that we can lay this theory aside. But if that wasn't enough, further to this, in the 19th century, a German folklorist, Jacob Grimm, researched the origins of the German name for Easter, which is Ostara, or in high German, Ostaren, And after doing his research, he found out that, yes, both these words mean East, but he also admitted that he could find no solid link between Easter and pagan celebrations. He also admitted that this theory may have come from the idea of there being this German goddess, just like Istra. However, he also admitted that this was based on conjecture and supposition, And it was all based on misinformation and opinions. And so while the word Easter most likely comes from an old word for east or the name of a springtime month, we actually have little to no evidence that suggests anything more. So any assertions that Easter is pagan or that Christians have appropriated a goddess holiday are unfounded. However, someone say however. However. Easter as we know it has been almost heavily commercialized as with most Christian celebrations with the focus turning to Easter eggs, Easter bunnies and the like. All that I confess I enjoy but has nothing whatsoever to do with Easter and it is because of this that many churches, many Christians, and many believers today actually prefer to refer to it as Resurrection Sunday than to say Happy Easter. The rationale being that the more we focus on Christ and his work on our behalf, the better. And this is important because the truth about what we celebrate at Easter in this season is all about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And please note, it is about all three, not one or the other. It's about his death, it's about his burial, and it's about his resurrection. If he did not resurrect, we would not be able to sing today the resurrected king. All three elements are important. The Apostle Paul put it this way in First Corinthians fifteen fourteen. He said, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. That's Paul's way of saying us coming together today would be a waste of time if he did not resurrect. Because me standing here preaching to you would be empty. And that aside, your faith walk, the things you believe in, would be none and void, would be empty if he didn't rise from the grave. But notice in that verse, he said, if Christ is not risen. He didn't say if Christ hadn't died, because that's just one part of the story. He also brings to our attention the important parts of the picture, which are the fact that he died, he was buried, and he resurrected, and all three are important. Why are all three important? Let me tell you why all three are important. Because how many of you know that there are many people who are not Christians, who believe in other religions, who also believe in Jesus? There are people who believe he was real, there were people who believe he even died, but they don't believe he resurrected. And we believe that he died, but not just died, but he was buried, because if he wasn't buried, they would have said he didn't die. And by the way, if you remember, they tried to cover up the fact that he was risen, in that they bribed the gods. So this was their plan anyway. So it wasn't just about him dying, it was about him being buried, and of course, being resurrected. And those of us who believe in the word of God, and not to mention the scientific evidence that supports this, understands that this is the truth about Easter. Tell your neighbor, this is the truth about Easter. <laughs> now, it is because he is risen that we are forgiven. It is because he is risen that we are forgiven. You like the way that rhymes? It is because he is risen that we are forgiven. First Corinthians fifteen seventeen. And if Christ is not risen, this is the same Paul, what does he remind us? Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The same Paul who reminded us that our preaching and our faith is empty if he's not risen is the same Paul that tells us we are not forgiven if he has not risen. And the truth about Easter and why we celebrate this momentous occasion is because of the price he paid on the cross so that we could be here today and so that we could have life everlasting with him. We're talking about a Jesus who was nailed to a cross and experienced unimaginable pain, pain that you could never even think of to comprehend. In case you're not aware, in those days when Criminals were crucified. Initially, they would put the spikes into the palm of the hand. However, what they realized in history was that when people were being crucified and the spikes were in the palm, is that actually criminals were able to muster up the strength to pull the spike out, get off the crucifix because their feet at this time wasn't also drill to the cross, it was just on the platform, and escape. So much so that criminals would actually plan to escape if they were going to be crucified. Because typically, when a crucifixion took place, there would only be one or two guards at the place of the crucifix. And so what criminals would do would be to invite their friends, invite their family. They would then at some point muster up the courage and the strength to pull the spike out of the cross, as painful as that would be, get off the cross, and their friends and family would overpower the gods, and that's how they would escape, okay? So they decided to change it when it came to Jesus's crucifixion. And around that time, rather than putting the spikes in the palm, they decided that they'll put the spike in the wrist. Now, if everybody just raises their hand for a second, and take the index finger from your other hand, place it at the bottom of your palm, And if you go down a few centimeters, you will find a soft spot right there in the middle of your wrist. Do you feel that? That's where the spike would have gone through. And it initially went through there so that the hand would strivel up. And there would be no opportunity for somebody to muster up the power to pull the spike out from the cross from their wrist. Because once it was in the wrist, the weight of that person would then be on their wrist. And this is what they did with Jesus. They decided, you know what? We're going to put the spikes in the wrist and right through the wrist in to the cross. And I don't know if you know or not, but when the spike would have gone through, it would have caused excruciating pain right through the hand, right through the arm, into the shoulder. And it's interesting because the word crucify has root in the word excruciate. In fact, if you look at the word, you will see right in the middle of it, we have crucia. It comes from the Latin. Crucify comes from excruciating because that was the best way they could describe the pain. But with Jesus, they weren't taking any chances. Remember I told you how people would overpower the gods and escape? If you read your Bible, you will see that when it came to Jesus' crucifixion, they appointed a centurion to be at the feet of the crucifix. A centurion was a Roman soldier, okay, military shoulder so- soldier, sorry, who was in charge of a platoon. A platoon was an army with at least 100 people called a century, but sometimes it was several hundred more. So what they said is with Jesus, we're not taking any chances, not are we just going to put the spikes in the risk, we're going to make sure there's hundreds of guards there, so that no one can overpower us, and no one can escape. They also changed something else 30 years prior to when Jesus was being crucified. They no longer had the feet on the platform, they took the platform away, and they would put spikes through the feet into the cross, and if you think about crossing your feet over, and the fact that the spike went through the feet into the cross, you can imagine how thick and how long these spikes were. These spikes went right through both feet into the cross. But they weren't finished there because they realized that though people, when they were being crucified, had spikes going through their feet and had spikes in their wrists, they were still able to muster up the courage to release their diaphragm to breathe. And so what would happen is that at times there would be people who would be being crucified who would actually be on the cross for days because they could breathe. So they decided, actually, what we'll do is we'll break their legs. And if you look at the scripture, in John chapter 19, verse 32, it says, Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. They realized the Sabbath was coming. These guys are on here for too long. They're not dying. We need to break their legs. Why break their legs? Because when you break their legs, they no longer have the strength to muster up the courage to release their diaphragm. And what it meant was that they could breathe, but with every breath, they couldn't breathe out. So do me a favor. Take a breath in. Without breathing out, take another breath in. Take another one take another one. Take another one. Some of you are dead already, okay? This is how it was for those on the cross. Every breath they took, they could breathe in. They couldn't breathe out. And the aim was that they would die from pain and suffocation. And so, when it came to Jesus, in John chapter 19, verse 33, it says, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, They did not break his legs. Which fulfills an Old Testament prophecy that none of his bones would be broken. They didn't break his legs because they saw he was already dead. What did they do instead? They took a spear and put it through his heart, put it through his side. And when they put it through his side, the Bible tells us that both blood and water came out, which was proof that he was already dead. In fact historical documents show that the cause of death literally for Jesus was a broken heart literally he died of a broken heart for each and every one of us blood and water came out to give us an idea of what he might have experienced prior to the cross because we forget that even before he got to the cross he already received 39 lashes 39 lashes with a phallegrum, which would be a whip with metal balls at the end and some bones attached to the end so that every time he was whipped, the bones would actually hold onto his skin and pull some of his skin out. Not to mention that when his skin would be pulled out, that would be the same back that would be leaned across across a crucifix that would cause pain. Not to mention the crown of thorns that was placed upon his head. It probably shows us that Jesus had a hyper shock, which probably explains why Simon had to carry his cross and why he mentioned when he was on the cross, he was thirsty. But yet, in all of that, I ask people a question. Who killed Jesus? And some people say to me, it's the Jewish authorities that did it. Some people say it's the Romans that did it. And I say, no, no, no. No, no, no. It was none of the above. And I know... Because the scripture tells me in John chapter 10, verse 18, it says, from verse 17, it says, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Look at verse 18. No one takes it from me. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Jesus says, I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. And so when I ask people who killed Jesus, they'll give me all sorts of answers. And I'll say, no, no, no. Jesus laid down his life for you. Went through excruciating pain for you. Was whipped, mocked for you. He chose to lay down his life for you. I kind of see it like Jesus going to the bank and paying off the debt. And isn't it sad that even though he's gone to the bank and paid off the debt, when he comes back to some people in this world and tells them the debt has been paid, they don't believe it. Nah, I don't believe he died for me. No, I, how could he? No, I don't, I don't believe in that. And they're not willing to take up the blank check that offers them life eternally and abundantly in Christ. But what I also find interesting is the amount of believers who have that blank check for Christ and they just put it in their pocket forgetting that having a check that's not cashed is useless and the fact that he went to the cross means that we can walk this Christian walk and gain our strength from him and I say that to say that life is hard enough even with Christ alone right let alone not without Christ but the price he paid on the cross means that even in your deep darkest moments you don't have to turn to drugs you don't have to turn to alcohol you don't have to turn to unprofitable relationships to medicate any pain that you might be feeling even in the midst of being abandoned even in the midst of being orphaned even in the midst of disappointment, even in the midst of your anxieties, even in the midst of your mental breakdowns, even in the midst of the strains in your day to day life, Jesus says, Come to me, for my burden is light and my yoke is easy. We heard earlier, I think someone alluded to it, Pastor Emmanuel, during the offering, that sometimes we become so familiar with the Christian message that sometimes we forget the power that the resurrection power carries i want to encourage us this easter sunday to take a moment to even try and comprehend what he has done for you so that you can have life in him not just now but also in the days to come and with that i'd like us all to bow our heads for a moment and I want you to take this moment to reflect on the goodness of God reflect on his faithfulness in that he would send his one and only begotten son to this earth to die not just for us but specifically for you if there was no one else on earth he would still come just for you the Bible tells us that He loves us unconditionally. He washes away our sins as white as snow, which means every guilt, every shame, every condemnation is nailed to the cross. And the power of the resurrection power is available. so in this moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed I want to pray for you if you're here this morning and you're here in one of two positions one perhaps you don't know this Jesus Christ that we are referring to today as our Lord and Saviour and you've been looking for hope, for fulfilment for love, for purpose in all of the wrong places I'm here to tell you that Jesus says I am the way I am the life and he stands knocking at the door of your heart so that if you would open up and let him in you can do life with him but the second person I want to pray for is the person who is a Christian who says I do believe in God but you know that your relationship with God is not where it should be you know it's not right you know you're not experiencing the fullness of the resurrection power in God your life you know that yes coming to church is what you do but being the church and being grounded in your relationship with god is not what you have whether you fall into the first category or the second category i want to pray for you and so what i'm going to do is i'm not going to ask you to come out to your seat i'm not going to do that but in this very moment on this resurrection sunday If you're here and you're saying, yes, I understand the price that he paid for me on the cross. I know I cannot fully comprehend it, but I'm starting to understand it. And I want to walk in his resurrection power. I want to receive Jesus Christ into my life or I want to rededicate my life with Christ and ensure that I am on track with him. Then on the count of three, I just want you to raise that hand so that I can pray for you. One, I want Jesus Christ to come into my life. Two, I need to renew my relationship with Jesus Christ. Free, I want to do it right here, right now. Would you go ahead and raise that hand? Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands going up all over the place this morning. People making a decision this Resurrection Sunday. Come on, lift that hand nice and high. There's nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be ashamed of. You're making a decision right now to receive Christ or to make Christ the priority that he hasn't been in your life. Just raise that hand and I thank you Jesus thank you Lord and for those of you that are raising your hands you can put your hands down now and like us all of us nice and loudly and those of you watching online to repeat this prayer after me would you say Father Lord I come before you today acknowledging that I am a sinner or that I have backslidden I believe that you sent your one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ to this earth to die for my sins that my sins may be forgiven and so that I may have life eternally and abundantly with you I believe you died you were buried and you are the resurrected King right now I ask your Holy Spirit to come into my life fill me afresh Fill me in you, in Jesus' name. Church, let's put our hands together for those.